Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations, where we talk about adversity, mental health, spirituality, and societal issues. I'm your host, Bertan Daniel. In this week's episode, I am honored to welcome back Dr. Natasha Robbins. Natasha is a licensed marriage and family therapist and coach. She obtained her master's and PhD from Purdue University and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Michigan Medical Center. Natasha's research and clinical experience over 16 years has centered around attachment and nervous system regulation. In recent years, her focus has broadened to include somatic attachment therapy and internal family systems frameworks. She's also a trained yoga instructor and breath work facilitator. Natasha owns a private practice where she provides therapy and coaching services for clients in office and virtually online. In this episode, Natasha and I discuss attachment styles. We discuss the attachment styles most people are familiar with and explore the research that led to secure and insecure attachment development. Natasha and I also talk about how people can build secure attachments in their lives and we share our own experiences of how we've been able to do that. You can find Natasha on social media and online. Her Instagram handles are at the rooted revolution and at rooted and guided. Her website is www.rootedwellnesstherapy.com or her coaching website is www.therootedrevolution.com. Please find all other ways to get a hold of Natasha in the show notes and please leave a review at the end of this episode. I would truly appreciate it. All right, Natasha, welcome back to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for joining me once again. I really enjoyed our first episode together. It was very powerful, very inspiring for me. So I'm excited for another conversation with you. And this time we'll take a different angle, but uh, perhaps somewhat linked to our first episode together. And uh, before we get started, I still want to give you an opportunity, perhaps to introduce yourself um, for, for listeners that maybe haven't heard our first episode together. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me back. I had so much fun the last time. And I feel like we could have talked for hours. So I feel like it's so good to be able to continue the conversation. And hopefully it 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 taps into, you know, some of your listeners and what they're interested in, because I think we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Yes. Yeah, I'm really excited for sure. And it's definitely an area I haven't covered yet on the podcast, but it's very much relevant when you think about it in terms of how attachment styles show up in all areas of our life. And when I was working on a couple of papers last year, I came across research that even suggested if we don't have secure attachment styles, that can also lead to poor emotional coping and can lead to some other forms of anxiety at times because we don't have those secure attachment styles that we can fall back on. So, so there's a lot of that that comes up and can impact yeah. our temperament, but yeah, I want to do turn it over to you and, and perhaps yeah. talk about your, your background and, and the work you do and why you'll be 
the person to share some knowledge on attachment styles. Oh my gosh. I, I, I hope I'm, uh, there's so many great attachment oriented people. So I'm, I, I am humbled to be like representing, <laughs> you know, that community. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been a passion of mine since I took a class in grad school on attachment theory. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up making the professor of that class a part of my dissertation committee and my master's thesis committee because I was like, this is it. Like, this is, I was just like, you know how when you have that moment where you're just lit up, I was so lit up and it has stayed like this, 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 this lit up feeling whenever I talk about attachment has never faded. And this was so long ago. So now I'll speak from the present day and then I'll kind of walk back a little bit how I stumbled on it. But right now I'm a therapist and coach. Um, I'm a marriage and family therapist by training. I work with a lot of people who experience symptoms of depression and anxiety. I work with um, a lot with grief lately. um, And we talked a little bit about grief last time. And that's become an area that um, has been especially interesting and exciting for me to dip my toe in. Um, but every every area that I've worked with in, in the past and in the present has been through this attachment lens, no matter what topic I'm talking about. It is through a, this attachment lens. And if I rewind back, when I did my master's thesis, it was on adolescence. The population was incarcerated as adolescent males. Um, I gather data from that population, and I was interested in exploring attachment, attachment and emotion regulation as constructs in terms of predicting conduct disorder. So I wanted to understand, like, like what's the role of their attachment style, and how does it, like, interact with, if at all, um, what I was calling emotion regulation at the time. Yeah. And when those come together, like, how does it play out in terms of their behavior choices? Um, so I, I entered this field with an interest in adolescence. And I'm, I'm mentioning that because it's evolved a lot since then. I'm still interested in adolescence, but that was my entry point. Right. And um, we were talking a little bit before um, starting recording just now. And you were talking about in your research for a paper how um, you found that attachment is is connected with um, choices and behavior and stuff. And that's exactly what I was in. Like, why are these kids here? Like, yeah. why are they, why are they incarcerated? Like what went wrong? And um, being really interested in the parent child relationship that this emerged out of. Right. So, um, then for, uh, for my, for my dissertation and then my postdoctoral research, I got more and more interested in younger kids. So like, um, you know, childhood age. And then um, my postdoctoral research was mom, baby, infant attachment. And it was literally collecting data from moms who just had their babies and then following them for a while. Right. Um, I was, I was recruiting them from the hospital, like right after delivering their baby. So I, I started to get more and more interested in like, no, let's go, let's go further in the past, further in the past, further in the past. Where did this start? Mm-hmm. And um, so this is this is a little bit of a setup to talk about um, Mary Ainsworth's Mary Ainsworth's research, and you probably have heard about it, especially the strange situation. So mm-hmm. there is a research study; it's a controlled um, observational study 
of moms and their children where the researchers were behind a one-way mirror. And they're essentially watching the mom-baby interactions um, on the other side in a, in a, in a playroom mm-hmm. and, and through a series of separations and reunions. So what I mean by that is the mom and baby are first playing or, you know, in their room, the baby had that the child has um, an opportunity to explore. And initially the mom's just observing. Then they engage them in a little bit of play. And after a while, a stranger enters. So this is why it's called a strange situation, because for a kid, this would be weird, you know, be strange to them. Meant to elicit mild stress. So that's what you want. When you're looking at attachment, like our attachment responses show up for us when we're stressed out. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so that's what they wanted to elicit. And that's what the stranger entering was meant to elicit is this mild stressor that they can observe the cascade of responses afterward. Right. Well, the stranger enters and there's there's multiple steps. Um, but the gist of the steps is that the stranger enters, the mom leaves. So mm-hmm. the stranger's with the kid and they're playing. Um, and the, the, the stranger is sort of following the kid's lead. Um, then the stranger, uh, the mom returns, the stranger leaves. So there's this sequence of like um, separations and reunions that are happening in the context of the stranger coming and going right. as well. Yeah. So you can see how for a kid this would be just the right kind of scenario to elicit a stress response. So um, So thinking about like the nervous system activation is kicking mm-hmm. in. And what the researchers wanted to observe is a lot of things, but especially like, what is that kid doing um, when, as they are stressed out, what, how does that in a, it impact their play? Um, when the mom returns, how do they use the mom as a secure base right. to then to get back to baseline in their nervous system? How effective is the mom in doing that with them? How attuned is the mom to the, to the child's cues? Or, you know, are they unable to attune and be responsive in an effective way to the child's cues? So it's sort of like, what's this dyadic dance look like? Mm-hmm. And what they were able to do with their research that was all like video, like like recorded and then coded for these mm-hmm. behaviors, things they were looking for, is essentially create categories of child um, attachment um, behaviors. Right. One Oh, so we were talking about like attachment categories before we started recording and how I was expressing a frustration that <laughs> the yeah. attachment categories have shifted a lot. So like before Ainsworth, she was really influenced by a researcher named John Bowlby, and he really thought attachment was attached or not. So yeah. that was she wanted to see, like, is that it? Is that what we're looking at here? Or is there more to the story? Mm-hmm. Is it that? have attached versus non-attached kids or is there more nuanced? So initially she was finding there was this um, secure, resistant, avoidant, um, three categories. And the way that the way that I would describe secure is essentially the mom and baby are able to use one another effectively. Mm -hmm. So uh, the mom's able to read the cues be responsive to those cues in ways that are uniquely helpful to their kid because they know their kid. Yeah. Um, child's able to use the mom and like seeks her out upon re- uh, reunion, um, doesn't push her away, um, yeah. furs her over the stranger. Um, so there's all these sort of like 
elements to secure attachment that are really what you want to see. And behaviorally, these kids are able to uh, um, soothe more quickly. They're able to um, explore more readily. You know, once with mom in the room, they're able to explore more freely. With the stranger in the room, they sort of stop their exploration. So there's these really predictable patterns that feel healthy. Mm-hmm. The category of what she was calling at the time resistant, and what now I would probably say is more like anxious. Yeah. They didn't do that the same way. They sought out their mom, but they were sort of like pushing, they weren't, they were sort of like inconsolable or not quite satisfied with the comfort that the mom was able to provide. Right. Pushing away a little bit. Um, they were took longer to soothe. There was more of that anxious energy. I think the pushing away is where the uh, the resistant came from. Right. Um, and probably also a lack of trust and safety, right? That's coming mm-hmm. up for, for the child as well. And a lot of this like anxious seeking, but also not feeling uh, not feeling like what they're getting is effectively helping mm-hmm. them. And then in the third category is this sort of like, um, I can kind of, Take mom or leave her. I I don't really feel all that distressed when she's gone. I'm just as happy with the stranger. The stranger um, suits me just as much as mom does. In other words, you know, and and this is what um, you know, still remains. These categories. What I want to emphasize is even though that some of the names have changed and it's gotten really complicated sometimes with lots of different categories and then got really simplified again, is that these three main categories even though they may be named different things, have stuck. Yeah. So um, so that what we now call like avoidant is this stance of um, when I feel nervous system dysregulation, I rather pull away. I ra- mm-hmm. I, I, I've learned that I can't trust that people will be there for me. I've learned that I'm better off figuring this out on my own. I can sort of take you or leave you. It is this sort of like distant um energy mm-hmm. where what what i would now call like anxious attachment if we just want to keep it simple it is this sort of like the person who when they're dysregulated remember both groups are dysregulated they're both anxious they're both insecure categories of attachment right it's what they're doing about that is different one is mm-hmm. sort of distancing and acting as though we don't we don't need people right and the other is sort of anxiously seeking so this is that would be as an adult. This would be the person who's like anxiously texting. Are you there? Why haven't yeah. you replied? Why haven't you replied? It's this lack of security inwardly yeah. that is testing with a lot of anxious checking and chasing that doesn't feel soothing. So that's the that's the key of it is that like even with with both insecure categories, the outcome of what the person is doing is not getting them the result that they're looking for. It's mm-hmm. not resulting in this sense, like grounded, secure, connected um, energy that we want to be having. Yeah. And then secure people, that's the category where they actually can use um, their relationships with other people to help them self-soothe pretty easily without chasing, without a lot of anxious pursuit or distancing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, open grounded trust that that people have um i want to pause there and just let make sure you don't have any questions and like check in because i feel like i've covered a lot with like 
the research part and then like trying to boil it down to what we see. Yeah, no, I, no, I appreciate that. Thank you for covering all that. And, and I love how, you know, the, and I agree with you, it's being able to look at it almost as from a perspective of secure versus insecure. And the other thing I'd like to add that there have been various forms of the strange situation experiment applied and where people were followed into their adult life. And it was found that a lot of these uh, children, how they responded was predictive of how they would perform adult attachment styles. So that's what's really fascinating about the research around it and why it's so relevant. And, and the whole notion about the, the attachment styles we form in childhood are so, so profound in how they will impact us in our adult lives. And just being aware of that can help you often work through it and recognize why you behave a certain way when you're presented with certain situations in life, especially in terms of your, uh, well, especially in your romantic relationships, but also in other relationships, right? And you see sometimes maintain those dynamics, even with your, your, um, your caregivers. Yeah, you raised a really important point. And when I was just about to dive into a little bit, that's like, like the why do we care question? Like, why are we even talking about attachment? And it is because it's so sticky. It's so salient. So what they found in the longitudinal research following these babies into adulthood is like the categories that they had assigned them to as children were the same categories, even though they might have been named something slightly different with by the time they were adults. as they were when they followed them up years and years and years later at multiple time points. Mm -hmm. So that just means that attachment is very, or attachment style is very salient, sticks around. Unless we do something to really intentionally try and shift it, it will likely not shift. And this is, this is like, I I hesitate to even say that because it sounds, it sounds hopeless, but it's not hopeless because it's difficult to shift but it is possible to shift. And I want to talk more about that, you know, in the, in the latter part of what of our recording today, because I feel like it's super important. What I, what I, what I think people sometimes do is they're like, what's my style? What's my style? Oh no, I think I'm insecurely attached. I think I'm anxious attached or I'm, and then they get really uh, this feeling of hopelessness. Like, mm-hmm. uh, well, this explains why I've always done X, Y, and Z in relationships and why I've felt unfulfilled. And like, what does that mean for me? Am I broken? Am I like not able to have secure, healthy relationships? And the answer is absolutely no, that's not true. You are able to, and it, you can, you can heal these. Mm-hmm. Or I want to yeah. like needs there. Absolutely. And I appreciate that very much. And I think I'm a huge proponent, proponent of, of agency as well. Right. And to your point, you know, for people not to get down that path of feeling hopeless, but I think just having that awareness can bring about a lot of agency and gives you a lot more um, insight into how you can work through some of these things that are salient, as you mentioned. But yeah, let's maybe get into the uh, the whole notion of how people, once they become aware, can empower themselves to bring about those changes. Yeah. So I want to talk about the internal working model, which we talked about last time um, in in the last episode. So if someone hasn't listened to that and we only kind of skimmed it a little bit, 
I won't spend too much time on it today, but the, the key to healing, it lies in the internal working model. So when you think about like um, why it is that we, uh, we organize ourselves in these ways with respect to relationships, this is a relationship sort of model. It's right. how we, we interact with people. When we are dysregulated, what does that lead us to do in our connections with other people, in our connections with the world? in yeah. our connection with ourselves. So what I just referenced is the internal working model. In attachment theory is the sense that all of this is driven by our internal working model, which is formed based on these early, the quality of our early caregiver interaction. And what internal working model means is the sense of security or safety that we feel in ourselves, in relationships, and in the world. The, the sort of like, um, paradigm that we settled on as a kid about how secure and safe those things are, how much I can rely on those things to be, to show up for me, to be available to me, to be helpful to me, all these things. And yeah. so for a secure person, you can see how in those three areas, they feel like people really do, they're, they're, people want to help me, they're good, they're safe, I'm safe in my body, I'm safe in my connections, the world is safe. In the insecure attachment categories, it is very much a different story, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not safe in here. I, I I can't really even rely on myself to show up fully for me. I can't rely on you to show up full, fully for me, and I can't rely on the world. So, for an anxious person, an anxiously attached person, it would be so I have to keep checking and chasing and like pulling you in, pulling, pulling, um, chasing success, chasing like really this whole pattern of seeking the solution outside of them and then for for the avoidant category it it'd be the same kind of the same sense of like i can't rely on people yeah. but the conclusion being so i might as well not even bother mm -hmm. it's this i give up sort of energy right yeah so i want to say that even within the categories it is not the case that that's what we do all the time. In other words, like even with insecurely attached folks, there is um, like variation. There are times that they, they, they act securely. There are times that securely attached folks act insecurely. So this is not like black and white, like offer on categories. This is very much like a dial that sort of like um, shifts over different um, stages of our lives over when certain types of stressors are available or showing up for us if relationships are hard or strained like so I don't want to give the illusion that any one category is really solid anyway it is right. very much movable um, but the overall category being really salient if that makes mm -hmm. sense like yeah. across the board I tend to be this way so in terms of shifting that, given that the internal working model is my internal sense of safety and security um, in myself, in relationships, and in the world, you can truly see how intervention would be about shifting that sense of security. And what so many people have said, and I and I, I do believe this to a, to an extent, is that you can. Uh, I, what I would have originally said is you can only heal attachment in relationships, mm -hmm. relationship with someone, right. um, because that's where the attachment pattern was planted originally mm -hmm. relationship with your primary attachment figure as a, as a child. 
a lot of times the mom, but not, not it could be the dad if the if the mom wasn't available. It's sort of that that early attachment figure who was the one who would go to the baby in the crib initially, the one who like there's this primary. Mm-hmm. In adulthood, the attachment figure becomes the uh, the romantic attachment figure, oftentimes, mm-hmm. or you know, if not romantically attached, like the closest friend who's always been there, the one who's like. There's we have this primary person. Right. And so what's important to recognize is like that our attachment behaviors are most stimulated by that attachment figure. So if you're in a romantic relationship and you're like everywhere else in my life, I I feel pretty confident. I feel pretty secure. Why is it that in my home, like I feel like so triggered, like I feel so it is because this person who you're living your life with is now in an attachment figure category and they have the ability to trigger a lot of these behaviors in ways that nothing else can. Mm-hmm. But what it also means is that you have the power to heal in that relationship like nothing else can. This is what this has been the story for the longest time. And I'm going to throw a wrinkle in it in a middle in, in a little bit. Yeah. But start there that like if you are partnered. And you want to heal your attachment um, um, paradigm. It's it's a really great arena to do it because you and, and what I mean by that is like couples work. So yeah. like coming into therapy or coaching environment where you're working on attachment work as a couple, mm-hmm. so that you can really talk openly about like what are my fears, what are my old patterns, what are yours. And how are we creating this dance with one another that's really triggering for us? And how can I shift and you shift so that we better meet these needs? And how can we prioritize that work so much because we know that we can heal both of us if we um, show up for each other consistently, sensitively, in in an attuned way, in a committed way. And so for couples who can really do this and like, not leave one another, not, um, uh, you know, so that would trigger a lot of like, I'll never open up to someone again kind right. of thing. So this is very vulnerable, really, for a lot of people, terrifyingly scary work. It's like, but what if I do this work and they hurt me again or they leave me or they, you know, all these things. So mm-hmm. um, so with a lot of risk comes a lot of reward when it, when we're able to show up for each other in that way, we can in relationships show each other that the previous internal working model that we had needs to be updated, that we now have enough evidence because of the relationship with this person and how we've been able to heal to reconfigure what we thought was true in our old attachment, our old internal working model. Like, Maybe people are safe. Maybe I am safe in my connection mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can rely on myself to really show up fully for me. Maybe yeah. I can go out into the world and explore and be okay. Like these things start to be healed in relationship. Right. Yeah. So it, you can absolutely also do the attachment-oriented work alone. So I don't want to give that sense, but I want to emphasize how previous researchers and clinicians have really pushed this notion that attachment is healed in relationship. Yeah. And so when I'm working with someone one-on-one, what I'm often having them do is feel out like who are the really safe and secure people in your life? Who do you feel like 
we can start to have you show up in new ways in your relationship with them and experiment with feel does this feel safe do they do they respond when i'm honest with them about how i feel do they so you can still do this stuff even if you're not partnered but you can see how intense it would be with someone who is now your attachment figure because you're in it in a coupled relationship yeah yeah and just to kind of build on that too because you know what you're identifying here is this opportunity to heal and i think there's behind that opportunity it's also the idea that we often seek out the relationships that reinforce our our earlier attachment styles so you know Mm -hmm. if you're having whether you know if you get into that category of anxious attachment style with your caregiver you will likely seek out a similar type of dynamic in your romantic relationship which i think is you know as disheartening as it can be for a lot of people it's a great opportunity to recognize that you're in that situation again and to your point it can be considered an additional opportunity to perhaps heal and use that um, moment you yeah. have, your statements are like the perfect segues always <laughs> i don't know how you do that because i really wanted to build on the on what i was talking about um tapping into exactly what you're talking about so what you just described, like how we sniff out connections that are similar to what we knew growing up is very purposeful. Mm-hmm. It is not an accident. It's not like, um, wow, how'd that happen? Like, well, yeah. how is it? Not only is my partner one who dances with me in this way, but like a lot of my friends are too. Like, what is it that I surround myself with people who also dance with me in the same way that my my earliest caregiver did? Mm-hmm. And and so here I want to get a little bit like um, like mystical. There's something mystical, magical about this that's really like, to me, hardwired into every cell of our body. That when we are with someone, in the presence of someone, let's say you're, da- you're, you're at a club mm-hmm. or you're at a friend's house and there's someone who you're meeting and you're in the presence of someone where you're like, every cell of my body is standing at attention. It's... Th- I feel really compelled to lean in to this connection, right? Yeah. It's often because like at, at a cellular level, at a, very much at a nervous system level as well, there's this sense that like I know, and I don't mean I meaning in our brain like a thought, I mean like in the body is this sense that, so that means it can be a little bit outside of our awareness. Um, I know that I I can heal with this person. Mm. And and by that, I mean, like, they're similar enough to my original wounding pattern that emerged in childhood that if I re-enter that arena with someone new, this person, for example, I could practice new steps. Mm. So if they were too different from the original um, attachment figure, we wouldn't be able to sort of get this sense of like, um, let me try that again. Let me see if I can get this right this time. And I don't mean up here, like we're not thinking this cognitively in our brain. Right. Like at a bodily level. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think we pick it up as chemistry. Like <laughs> the way it feels to us is is simply chemistry. But if you were to decipher the chemistry beyond the sexual elements of it, it is the sense that like, wow. This person's energy feels like home to me. Mm-hmm. And, and all the positive and negative aspects of that, all the complicating aspects of that, meaning like I may not know right now the moment I meet you that you are likely to be um, unresponsive to my needs. 
but there's something about your vibe, the way you carry yourself, that there's something about it that feels really familiar. Mm -hmm. There's something exciting about that. Like I know in almost like at a soul level that if you and I were doing like connect and then engage in the work of healing, both of us, yeah, I can essentially stitch up my old wounds from childhood with you. And I wouldn't be able to do it with someone who didn't have that like connection yeah. in terms of being similar enough to the previous attachment figure. So when we're with someone who doesn't have that vibe, the way we feel it is like eh, on paper, they look like they'd be perfect, but I just don't feel it. It's mm -hmm. like that lack of connection that's unexplainable, right? Right. So to me, this is like the closest that we get to magic with in our in our lives because there's really no explaining that. Yeah, you know well, I mean? it's when there. You, yeah, when you say that, uh, I'm going to paraphrase this, but something Carl Jung said came up for me. It's whatever we don't heal, we unconsciously repeat. Okay. Um, so that's kind of what I feel happens in that aspect too, right? Yeah. And that's kind of the whole idea of what you referred to earlier, this mystical idea of it, um, which is pretty fascinating. I, I can agree with you on that too, that that there is something there. Yeah. It's really fascinating. And it's like we're given the chance chances over and over again. So like let's say the first relationship that's like that, it's too wounding. It's too like um, let's say you're thinking about your high school, your first high school crush, and there's too it's too intense or it's too there's too much of this sense inwardly of like, um, we're just not gonna be able to bridge that gap. It's okay. too much of a of a of a hook, you know, too much of a like um uh all I can really like think of is like the intensity is overwhelming our capacity. Yeah. At a, as a couple to really be able to bridge the gap, this gap together. So you break up, right? And then you sniff out this next person here, like, oh, they're so different. Good. I didn't want to date the same kind of person. And then you get to know them and you date them for a while. You're like, oh, wow. They're really like the same. Yeah, like, yeah. They're not all that different. They're different in some ways, but our dance is the same. Mm -hmm. So like, maybe it's not as intense. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not as fiery, meaning like, Remember, the previous relationship was overwhelming our capacity. Maybe this feels more like it's within our capacity, but it's the same dance. I'm still texting you in order to get you to reply over and over again. And you're still ignoring my, you know, like there's this whole, um, and then, you know, I can't tell you how often I'll be meeting with someone in therapy and they're like, I really thought that this time it would be different, but I'm doing the same things or I'm experiencing the same things. And it's like, this really is a gift. The fact mm -hmm. that you're experiencing the same things, like, please don't beat yourself up. This mm -hmm. is so much about, to me, why we're here to begin with. We are right. here to learn really basic fundamental lessons. And we do a lot of that learning in relationship with people. And um, if you don't get it right, master it the first time, it's going to be put right back in front of you again to give you another chance to master it. Or if you master step one the first time, you're going to get a chance to master step two, three, four, and five. Like, yeah, there's, there's no escaping this work, in other words, right? Yeah. yeah. And, so and I think a lot of people kid themselves that, and as you were mentioning that, oh, I'm never going to get in a relationship like that. Or they try to run from from what they need to heal. And you really can't. 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to continue to show up in different ways. I think for me, it came to a point where I had to just sit there in stillness and realize that, okay, what's the common denominator here? It's me, right? Yeah. So something needs to, to be healed. And that's when I really went on this inward journey and um, kind of came out on the other end more with a spiritual sense, which we talked about uh, prior to recording. And uh, yeah, that was kind of what allowed me to start healing and, and recognize a lot of those patterns. And it's a journey that never ends in my mind because you're going to be tested and uh, I think you're going to become aware of new things all the time because they're buried so deep. So true. And I just want to sort of like go there a little bit with the um, with the more inward, like spiritual components of this. I mean, some of it, um, I'll save the spiritual piece for the end, but like leading in that direction. You remember when I was talking about how like most of the time what people would say is you heal this in re- relationship and that um, mm-hmm. this is built in relationship, you heal it in relationship. Mm-hmm. What we touched on the last episode is that like, um, and this is what got me interested in somatic work, is that is this growing realization that you can heal this in relationship with yourself too. Let's not forget that our earliest relationship is really with ourselves. Yeah. So um, once that became like, that was a light bulb moment for me. And I think in our last episode, I was talking about how, like when my mom passed away way too early and then my husband passed away, you know, almost two years ago, um, in August, it'll be two years. What it left me sitting with a lot of was like, why are, why are my attachment figures being taken from me? Like my primary attachment figures are all gone and, um, and feeling very alone and sort of like, what's, there has to be purpose in this. What's the purpose mm-hmm. in this? You were talking about purpose last time. And for me, like one of the conclusions that I came to was I truly feel like I was meant to learn, uh, dive really deeply into and learn that we have the capacity in our relationship with ourselves to do this work inwardly and that we don't have to always have the attachment figure to do this work with. And so with somatic work, you're essentially like bringing your inner parent on board in order to meet the needs, the, the, what have been longstanding unmet needs Mm -hmm. of the inner child bits of us. So like, If we have, um, you know, an inner child that really feels as though they have to uh, hustle for worth mm. and that when that part of us shows up, meaning like all day long, I'm feeling like I have to hustle for worth, you know, this sense of anxiousness and this need to perform, right? That we can sit with that feeling in our body and really observe it lovingly mm. with a lot of compassion and grace mm-hmm. and and develop our inner parent in response to that and do all kinds of beautiful things to heal that. Yeah. It, um, and so I won't get into too much of like about practices because there are so many different practices and ways that we can do that. We can do that in meditation. We can do that um, in very guided somatic practices. We can do that um, in, in journaling. We can literally do reparenting work between our inner parent and a, and a part that is surfacing a part of us 
by dialoguing in written form. There's so many mm-hmm. things we, but I want to just emphasize that um, when you realize that you have all the tools inside of you and that um, really once you develop them, they can never be taken away. There's something yeah. so amazing about that. Yeah. It really started to feel like, um, I, you know, that I was experiencing these things in part to learn them and then also to share them with people so that this knowledge can get out there more and more. And I know it's out it's out there a lot. A lot of people are sharing it, but it's super powerful. And yeah. take takes uh, takes attachment work to me uh, to a whole nother level. I wonder yeah. your thoughts about that. Have you experimented with that? Um, yeah, for sure. I think what's come up for me, and even when you were speaking, I, for me, at least, I can only speak to my experience. I did find more secure attachment just by being closer to faith and through the act of prayer with uh, finding secure attachment with, you know, whether you want to call it universe or oneness or, or God for, for me is how I look at it. And that's really brought me more peace because I think that's uh, an attachment figure that's always there. And, and yeah, you know, yeah. growing up in faith, that's what something I was told to do, but not without much insight into it um, because my parents were also dealing with their own trauma and attachment, so they didn't fully appreciate it. But as I've gone through this journey and I've recognized how I was perhaps outsourcing that need for attachment, it was always there for me. And and to your point, it's always inside of you, um, which, you know, I it's brought a new meaning for me when I hear the phrase man was made in the image of God. That brings a whole different mm-hmm. profound meaning for me and recognizing that attachment figure is truly inside of us and you can tap into it at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the, again, like the perfect segue to this lower layer that I feel like is more new to me. Not new, like we were talking before we started recording that this is stuff that I've been really studying for years but more like an intellectual curiosity mm-hmm. and more recently it's become like aha moments of oh this is how it's applied for me and this is how like feeling it it's yeah. a whole other level and and what i mean is that like you know when i was describing how we can meet this need inwardly as inner parent what what i began to see is that when we're doing that, we're simply a portal. Like yeah. we are, we're, we are become this vessel through which like source energy can enter yeah. us and do that work. So it's really not us. I mean, we are, we are doing it, but we are doing it more by surrender than by anything else. So yes. that's another reason why I don't like to get too hung up on the practices because the practices can bring this energy up almost like attachment. Um, anxious attachment energy of like, oh, I got to chase that practice. I got to get it right. I got to do it. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And if that's the way you're approaching a practice in your attempt to meet with a an inner part that is hurting, mm-hmm. you're sort of like perpetuating the cycle. So mm-hmm. I like to think of this more as like, how do I get out of the way? Like, Yes, it is inner parent. I am turning my attention inwardly and I'm focusing on the sensations and and the messages that need healing. But I'm also in the process of doing that, opening myself up to that coming in from 
you know, the source of that love, the source yeah. of, you know, the, the, uh, the, where secure attachment really comes from at, at its purest state, right? Mm -hmm. Just pure love. Yeah, whatever you want to call that, whether it be the universe or God or source or, you know, whatever um, framework works best. To me, it's just really cool to think, oh, wow, like I don't have to have it all figured out. Yeah, I don't yeah. have to have the te technique down. I really, I really just need to open myself up to that and let it in. Mm -hmm. And I really powerful things with that in terms of visualization and imagining like this part that's in need of healing um what age is that part what age what what age did that part come online what was happening at that time what wound was it holding for us and that it, then we can look at that's the wound that we're wanting source energy to pour love in on so it's right. almost like we're taking these wounds that are bubbling up like little bubbles holding them in our hands and saying like how can I pour so much into this um, that it essentially is um, it like pops, like it essentially is no longer holding so much negative charge that it's allowed to be integrated and digested and mm -hmm. accommodated into the fullness of our being. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Sure. I think. You know, what really came out for me there, I agree with you. I think often people get caught up in and there's guilt and shame that comes from not sticking to a practice, which to your point can lead to further anxiety. Um, I think it's recognizing that the practice is there. It's not going anywhere. It's there for you to use when you need it most. But don't try to get too attached to the idea of doing something because you think you need to do it. I think for me, I've used some of these practices that I alluded to earlier as a tool that's available to me when I need it most. And I, I really pull on it in those moments, but it's something that's always there. And, and I just know that. And uh, then it kind of feels more secure. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's very much like a secure relationship, right? You know, if your partner is going out or your caregiver is going out, they're going to come back. And yeah you'll be fine, right? And and you just have that trust and safety. And I look at those practices the same way that they're always there and I don't need to get too worked up about it. But there's also an element of surrender, knowing that in a very similar to any secure attachment is knowing that you just do what you need to do and things will happen the way they're meant to and you can't really control any one outcome. Um, sometimes we don't see the whole picture um, we just have a very low level resolution of how we're seeing things and you have to kind of wait for it to play out to really get a better understanding. Yeah. And here's the paradox too. Like when, so what we were just describing is taking the attachment work outside of this, like, um, attachment figure, um, uh, this other person in my life outside of that domain mm -hmm. and into this, like higher domain of my attachment relationship inwardly and also out like upwardly mm -hmm. <laughs> into, into the into um the the uh, spiritual level is that when we do that and develop enough security and reliability so like remember when we were talking about the moms and the babies and how so much of this was about attunement and responsiveness mm -hmm. you know? That the, the mom's ability in these research studies to deeply attune to the needs of their their babe, their child and then also be responsive in effective ways 
it's the same way inside. So it's like, how well can I attune to the sensations in my body? In other words, where I'm not bypassing or ignoring really key important information that my body's trying to send me. Because until you start doing this work, oftentimes we are, we're, we're, um, we're human and we tend to be like, uh, like plow through these sensations and really not even feel them. We get really detached from our bodies and we're just like, like go, go, go. We're just pushing ourselves like this really masculine energy of like, no, I just got to keep like, um, throwing myself out there. Right. Not realizing that we might be really flooding our nervous system. Really, we're really out of touch and, and, and showing a lack of attunement with our body's needs, similar to how the dynamic in that, that mom-child relationship was. So you can see how the inner parenting work is so Man. much about first attunement. What am I feeling? Can I notice that, like, I'm tired? You're can good. I notice the sensations that, like, I feel uneasy right now? What's that about? And just having, like, this gentle curiosity about like, wow, why is that showing up? What's mm -hmm. the, can I sit with that? Can I get some information about that? Um, and then being really responsive. So the responsive attunement being the first step, responsiveness being the next step, meaning like now that I know that, now that I know that I'm tired or I am getting these vibes or um, I have this need inwardly that I just noticed, mm -hmm. what am I going to do about that? Like, can I not ignore that? Can I prioritize those needs? And this may be the first time in your life that your needs have ever been prioritized. Like if you come from an attachment relationship in early life where those needs were not really attuned to, that means that you had some really basic needs that were never um, noticed enough to be put first. You know what I mean? So by us showing ourselves oh, not only do I see you and feel you, I hear you and I'm going to take action for you. Right. I'm going to set that boundary. I'm going to say no, or I'm going to say yes to this thing that feels good, or I'm going to rest. Like, and I, And here's like a whole really hard layer. I know it might let this person down. And so sometimes putting yourself first means showing yourself that you matter that much that like your needs will sometimes come at the cost of disappointing someone mm -hmm. and then learning how to regulate the fear around that like because yeah. what that usually bring up is like oh but what if they leave me then or what if but you're showing yourself but i'm not gonna leave you mm -hmm. i'm here and it has to start here first if right. I show myself that I'm never leaving you, that I, you, meaning I, will always be, I will always put my oxygen mask on first. Correct. Then when that security starts to, be, to develop from the inside and earned secure attachment starts to be established. What I was saying about the paradox is that it starts to flow outwardly from us onto our relationships. Mm -hmm. So this, by taking the focus off of Oh, I need to make you happy though. And I need to make sure that you like me and that you approve of me by taking the focus off of that and really putting it inward and bringing the spiritual component into it only amplifies this. Then what ends up happening is like, now I feel so solid mm -hmm. that I lean into connections really freely and openly 
because even if you leave me, I got me. So it's okay. I got me. So I don't have to fear um, whatever it is that you may choose to do, because if it, if it signals danger to me, I got me and I'll leave. Yeah. If you signal to me that I'm not a priority to you or you're not going to treat me right, I will I will observe that that sensation in my body and I'll respond and I'll set a boundary. In other words, I'm now free to lean into all these relationships that before I had to either like pull in or pull push away. And now I can just sort of like be in them. Mm-hmm. I know how to count on myself. Yeah. AKA know that I'm held by something bigger. Yeah. Does that sense? Oh, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing that I take out of that is, and something I've focused, started focusing on more lately is this aspect of healing. And I think once we can heal ourselves and fo- have that focus on ourselves, we show up as more secure people. And, you know, I think a lot of, People around us pick up on that energy. Absolutely. And so like just taking it back full circle to that internal working model where it's about security within yourself, relationships and others. What we were just talking about is like starting from the self and noticing how that spills out and benefits relationships with others, relationships with the world. It now makes us more confident to explore, picturing that little kid within that playroom with the toys they can now feel good enough to go and pick up the toys and not like like shrink down in their exploratory behavior. We're giving ourselves all of that and it's sort of like filling upward into mm-hmm. those dom- domains. So it's really powerful and amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. And uh, I think, yeah, this was not how I felt like the conversation would go, but I'm glad we ended up here because I think it's so important for people to recognize that ability to to heal and and find that secure attachment base and like you said earlier there's not to have this concept of oh there's no hope i've just inherited this or this is who i am and this is how my relationships will go but i think there's so much more work we can do and that starts by looking inward and finding those uh finding that secure attachment base within ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for bringing me on to talk about all this. I could feel like I could talk about it forever. I know we're kind of like coming up against time. Yeah, yeah no, no. Thank you for coming on here and having this conversation with me. It's always a pleasure uh, talking to you. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate everything you bring to the table. There's so much wisdom and insight there. So it's always Uh, a great learning experience for me and I often find that there's so much value that listeners get out of these conversations Uh, so absolutely it's uh, the gratitude's all on my end so I appreciate that very much and for listeners who again didn't listen to that first episode what are some ways they can find you or uh, get a hold of you whether it's online or social media yeah, so I have um, I have a bunch of links that I sent to you. I, I want to make sure you still have I them. Do. I can read them. It'd probably be easier than me listing yeah. them off, but on Instagram, which is where we connect prior, primarily, I'm, I'm the Rooted Revolution. Um, and I have, a, I have a separate grief account, which I think I, you may or may not have. Yeah. I'll make sure that you have yeah. that. Um, 
and I think included in that is our, is my website and stuff like that. So you'll, uh, I'll just make sure that you have all the current links and send those. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll put, yeah, I'll yeah. put that in the show notes and I still have everything from last time. So I'll share that, but okay. thank you again. This was great. Absolutely. Take care of yourself. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for checking out this episode with Natasha. Please leave a review or a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. And also subscribe to the podcast if you already haven't done so. It's the best way to support this podcast. Thank you. And until next week.